0: Section 41 of Hinduism and Buddhism An Historical Sketch, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Hinduism and Buddhism An Historical Sketch, Volume 1 by Charles Eliot. The Teaching of the Buddha, Part 6 with this stage he attains nirvana the best-known word and the most difficult to explain in all the vocabulary of buddhism footnote 488 sanskrit nirvana Pali nibbana and footnote it is perhaps used more by western students than by oriental believers and it belongs to the same department of religious language as the word saint for most christians there is something presumptuous in trying to be a saint or in defining the precise form of bliss enjoyed by saints in heaven and it is the same with nirvana yet no one denies that sanctity and nirvana are religious ideals in a passage already quoted Gotama described how, in attaining Buddhahood, he sought and arrived at the incomparable security of nirvana, in which there is no birth, age, sickness, death, pain, or defilement. Footnote 489 Majima Nikaya 26 End Footnote this confirmed by many other statements shows that nirvana is a state attainable in this existence and compatible with a life of intellectual and physical exertion such as he himself led the original meaning is the state of peace and happiness in which the fires of lust hatred and stupidity are extinguished and the participle apparently derived from the same root, had passed into popular language in the sense of happy. Footnote 490 Example The words addressed to Buddha, Nibutta, Nuna-sa-nari-yasayam-idisopati. Happy is the woman who has such a husband. In the Anguttara Nikaya 3.55, the Brahmin Janusoni asks Buddha, what is meant by sanditikam nibanam that is nirvana which is visible or belongs to this world the reply is that it is effected by the destruction of lust hatred and stupidity and it is described as akalikam ehipasikam opanayikam pakatam veditabam vinuhi difficult words which occur elsewhere as epithets of dhamma and apparently mean immediate, inviting, it says, come and see, leading to salvation, to be known by all who can understand. For some views as to the derivation of Nibbana, Nibbuto, etc., see J.P.T.S. 1919, pages 53 and forward, but the word nirvana occurs frequently in the Mahabharata and was probably borrowed by the Buddhists from the Brahmins. End footnote. Two forms of nirvana are distinguished. The first is upadisesa Nibanam, or nirvana, in which the skandhas remain, although passion is destroyed. Footnote 491, or saupadi, and footnote. This state is also called arhatship, the condition of an arhat, meaning originally a worthy or venerable man and the person enjoying it is alive. The idea that the emancipated saint who has attained the goal still lingers in the world, though no longer of the world, and teaches others, is common to all Indian religions. With the death of an arhat comes the state known as an upadi sesanibanam, in which no skandhas remain. It is also called parinibanam, and this word, and the participle, Parinibuto are frequently used with special reference to the death of the buddha footnote 492 but parinirvana is not always rigidly distinguished from nirvana example sutta nipata 358 and in kula vaga six four four the buddha describes himself as brahmano Parinibuto is even used of a horse in majima Nikaya sixty five ad finem footnote. the difference between the two forms of nirvana is important though the second is only the continuation of the first nirvana in this life admits of approximate definition it is the goal of the religious life though only the elect can even enter the struggle nirvana after death is not a goal in the same sense the correct doctrine is rather that death is indifferent to one who has obtained nirvana and the difficulty of defining his nature after death does not mean that he has been striving for something inexplicable and illusory arhatship is the aim and sum of the buddha's teaching it is associated in many passages with love for others with wisdom and happiness and is a condition of perfection attainable in this life the passages in the pitakas which seem to be the oldest and the most historical suggest that the success of the buddha was due to the fact that he substituted for the chilly ideal of the indian munis something more inspiring and more visibly fruitful something akin to what christ called the kingdom of heaven thus we are told in the vinaya that badiyah was found sitting at the foot of a tree and exclaiming ecstatically Oh happiness happiness when asked the reason of these ejaculations he replied that formerly when he was a raja, he was anxious and full of fear but that now even when alone in the forest he had become tranquil and calm with mind as peaceful as an antelope's nirvana is frequently described by such adjectives as deathless endless and changeless these epithets seem to apply to the quality not to the duration of the arhat's existence for they refer to the time before the death of the body and to signify that in the state which he has attained Death and change have no power over him. He may suffer in body, but he does not suffer in mind, for he does not identify himself with the body or its feelings. Footnote four ninety three, Samyutta Nikaya twenty two one eighteen. End footnote. Numerous passages could be quoted from the poetical books of the Pali Canon to the effect that nirvana is happiness, and the same is stated in the more dogmatic and logical portions. Thus we hear of the bliss of emancipation and of the happiness which is based on the religious life, and the words, nirvana is the greatest happiness, are put into Gotama's own mouth. Footnote 494 Vimutti sukam and Brahma Karyogadam sukam. Footnote four ninety five, Majima Nikaya one thirty nine, compare with also Anguttara Nikaya two seven, where various kinds of sukam or happiness are enumerated, and we hear of Sukam nirupadis, upekas, aruparamanam sukam etc. End footnote the middle way preached by him is declared to be free from all distress and those who walk in it make an end of pain even in this life footnote four ninety six example majima Nikaya nine dithe dame Dukas antakaro hoti footnote in one passage gotama is found meditating in a wood one winter night AND IS ASKED IF HE FEELS WELL AND HAPPY FOOTNOTE 497 Anguttara NIKAYA 532 END FOOTNOTE THE NIGHT IS COLD HIS SEAT IS HARD HIS CLOTHES ARE LIGHT AND THE WIND BITTER HE REPLIES EMPHATICALLY THAT HE IS HAPPY THOSE WHO LIVE IN COMFORTABLE HOUSES SUFFER FROM THE EVILS OF LUST hatred and stupidity but he has made an end of those evils and therefore is happy thus nirvana is freedom and joy it is not extinction in the sense we give the word but light to them that sit in darkness release to those in prison and torture but though it is legitimately described in terms which imply positive happiness it transcends all human standards of good and evil pleasure and pain in describing the progress to it we all whether indians or europeans necessarily use such words as better higher happier but in truth it is not to be expressed in terms of such values in an interesting sutta a jain argues that happiness is the goal of life footnote four ninety eight majima 79. End footnote. But the Buddha states categorically, first, that perfect happiness is only attainable by abandoning the conscious pursuit of happiness, and secondly, that even absolute happiness when attained is not the highest goal. There is a better state beyond, and that state is certainly not annihilation or extinction of feeling. For it is described in terms of freedom and knowledge. The Dhamma Sangani speaks of Nirvana as the uncompounded element and as a state not productive of good or evil. Footnote 499. Hatadatu compare with the expression Asankhara Parinibhai, Pugala Panati 144. End footnote. Numerous assertions are made about it incidentally, but, though we hear that it is perfected and supramundane, most of the epithets are negative and amount to little more than that it transcends or is absolutely detached from all human experience. Footnote 500 Tabulated in Mrs. Reese David's Translation, pages 367 to 9 End footnote Uncompounded asankato may refer to the passing away of all sankaras, but what may be the meaning of datu or element in this context, I do not presume to conjecture. But whatever else the word may mean, it clearly does not signify annihilation. Both here and in the questions of Melinda, an impression is produced in the mind of the reader, and perhaps was not absent in the mind of the writer that nirvana is a sphere or plane of existence resembling though excelling space or ether it is true that the language when carefully examined proves to be cautious and to exclude material interpretations but clearly the expositor when trying to make plain the inexplicable leaned to that side of error rather than towards annihilation footnote 501 such a phrase as nibbanasa sakikiri yaya for the attainment or realization of nirvana would be hardly possible if nirvana were annihilation end footnote somewhat similar is the language attributed to the buddha in the uddana footnote 502 uddana 7 near beginning end footnote Quote, there is a state ayatanam where there is neither earth nor water fire nor air nor infinity either of space or of consciousness nor nothingness nor the absence of perception or non-perception neither this world nor another neither sun nor moon footnote five o three these are the formless stages of meditation in nirvana there is neither any ordinary form of existence nor even the forms of existence with which we become acquainted in trances footnote. that i call neither coming going nor standing neither death nor birth it is without stability without movement without basis it is the end of sorrow unborn unoriginated uncreated uncompounded footnote 504 this negative form of expression is very congenial to hindus thus many centuries later kabir sung with god is no rainy season no ocean no sunshine no shade no creation and no destruction no life nor death no sorrow nor joy is felt there is no water, wind, nor fire. The true guru is there contained. End, quote. End footnote. The statements about nirvana in the questions of Melinda are definite and interesting. In this work, Nagasena tells King Melinda that there are two things which are not the result of a cause, to wit, space and nirvana. Footnote 505. Four seven, thirteen, and following pages, and footnote Nirvana is unproducible, which does not mean unattainable, without origin, not made of anything, and uncompounded. He who orders his life aright passes beyond the transitory and gains the real, the highest fruit, and when he has gained that, he has realized nirvana footnote five o six. See also Book Seven of the Melinda, containing a long list of similes illustrating the qualities necessary for the attainment of Arhatship. Thirty qualities of Arhatship are mentioned in Book Six of the same work. See also Mahaparinibbana Sutta Three sixty-five to sixty and reese David's note. End footnote. The parts of the Pitakas which seem oldest leave the impression that those who heard and understood the buddha's teaching at once attained this blissful state just as the church regards the disciples of christ as saints but already in the pitakas we find the idea that the struggle to obtain nirvana extends over several births and that there are four routes leading to sanctification footnote five o seven Example, Diga Nikaya, 16, 2, 7, Kulavaga, 9, 1, 4. End footnote. These roots are described by the names of those who use them and are commonly defined in terms of release from the ten fetters binding man to the world. Footnote, 508. Example, Pugala Panati, 1, 39. The ten fetters are one Sakayaditi belief in the existence of the self, two visikicha Doubt, three Sila Bataparamaso, trust in ceremonies of good works, four Kamarago lust five Patigo anger six Ruparago, desire for rebirth in worlds of form seven aruparago desire for rebirth in formless worlds eight mano pride nine udhakam self-righteousness ten avija ignorance End footnote the first is the sotapano he who has entered into the stream and is on his way to salvation He has broken the first three fetters called belief in the existence of self doubt and trust in ceremonies or good works he will be born again on earth or in some heaven but not more than seven times before he attains nirvana he who enters on the next stage is called sakadagamin or coming once because he will be born once more in this world and in that birth attain nirvana footnote 509 there is some diversity of doctrine about the sakadagamin some hold that he has two births because he comes back to the world of men after having been born once meanwhile in a heaven others that he has only one birth either on earth or in a devaloka End footnote. he has broken the fetters mentioned and also reduced to a minimum the next two lust and hate the anagamin or he who does not return has freed himself entirely from these five fetters and will not be reborn on earth or any sensuous heaven but in a brahma world once only the fourth root is that of the arhat who has completed his release by breaking the bonds called love of life pride self-righteousness and ignorance and has made an end of all evil and impurity he attains nirvana here and is no more subject to rebirth this simple and direct route is the one contemplated in the older discourses but later doctrine and popular feeling came to regard it as more and more unusual just as saints grow fewer as the centuries advance further from the apostolic age in the dearth of visible arhats, it was consoling to think that nirvana could be one in other worlds. The nirvana, hitherto considered, is that attained by a being living in this or some other world. But all states of existence, whatever, come to an end. When one who has not attained nirvana dies, he is born again. But what happens when an arhat or a buddha dies this question did not fail to arouse interest during the buddha's lifetime yet in the pitakas the discussion though it could not be stifled is relegated to the background and brought forward only to be put aside as unpractical the greatest teachers of religion christ as well as buddha have shown little disposition to speak of what follows on death for them the centre of gravity is on this side of the grave not on the other the all-important thing is to live a religious life at the end of which death is met fearlessly as an incident of little moment the kingdom of heaven of which christ speaks begins on earth though it may end elsewhere in the gospels we hear something of the second coming of christ and the judgment hardly anything of the place and character of the soul's eternal life we only gather that a child of god who has done his best need have no apprehension in this or another world though expressed in very different phraseology something like that is the gist of what the buddha teaches about the dying saint But this reticent attitude did not satisfy ancient India any more than it satisfies modern Europe, and we have the record of how he was questioned and what he said in reply. Within certain limits, that reply is quite definite. The question, does the Tathagata, that is the Buddha or perfected saint, exist after death? Which is the phraseology usually employed by the Pitakas in formulating the problem, belongs to the class of questions called not declared or undetermined, because they do not admit of either an affirmative or a negative answer. Footnote five ten. Of Yakatani, the Buddha being omniscient, Sabanu. Must have known the answer, but did not declare it, perhaps because language was incapable of expressing it. End footnote. Other problems belonging to this class are, is the world eternal or not? Is the world infinite or not? Is the soul the same as the body or different from it? Footnote 511. Jiva, not Atta. End footnote it is categorically asserted that none of these questions admit of a reply thus it is not right to say that a the saint exists after death b or that he does not exist c or that he both does and does not exist d or that he neither exists nor does not exist the buddha's teaching about these problems is stated with great clearness in a Sutta named after malunkya putta an inquirer who visits him and after enumerating them says frankly that he is dissatisfied because the buddha will not answer them footnote five twelve Nikaya sixty three and footnote. Quote, if the lord answers them i will lead a religious life under him but if he does not answer them i will give up religion and return to the world but if the lord does not know then the straightforward thing is to say i do not know quote. this is plain speaking almost discourtesy the buddha's reply is equally plain but unyielding quote, have i said to you come and be my disciple and i will teach you whether the world is eternal or not infinite or not whether the soul is identical with the body or separate whether the saint exists after death or not no lord now suppose a man were wounded by a poisoned arrow and his friends called in a physician to dress his wound what if the man were to say i shall not have my wound treated until i know what was the caste the family the dwelling-place the complexion and stature of the man who wounded me nor shall i let the arrow be drawn out until i know what is the exact shape of the arrow and bow and what were the animals and plants which supplied the feathers leather shaft and string the man would never learn all that because he would die first therefore is the conclusion hold what i have determined as determined and what i have not determined as not determined this sutta may be taken in connection with passages asserting that the buddha knows more than he tells his disciples the result seems to be that there are certain questions which the human mind and human language had better leave alone because we are incapable of taking or expressing a view sufficiently large to be correct but that the buddha has a more than human knowledge which he does not impart because it is not profitable and overstrains the faculties just as it is no part of a cure that the patient should make an exhaustive study of his disease with reference to the special question of the existence of the saint after death the story of yamaka is important footnote five thirteen samyutta nikaya seventeen eighty five and footnote he maintained that a monk in whom evil is destroyed kina is annihilated when he dies and does not exist this was considered a grave heresy and refuted by sariputta who argues that even in this life the nature of a saint passes understanding because he is neither all the skandhas taken together nor yet one or more of them yet it would seem that according to the psychology of the pitakas an ordinary human being is an aggregate of the skandhas and nothing more when such a being dies and in popular language is born again the skandhas reconstitute themselves but it is expressly stated that when the saint dies this does not happen the chain of causation says that consciousness and the sankharas are interdependent if there is no rebirth it is because as it would seem there are in the dying saint no sankaras; his nature cannot be formulated in the same terms as the nature of an ordinary man it may be noted that karma is not equivalent to the effect produced on the world by a man's words and deeds for if that were so no one would have died leaving more karma behind him than the buddha himself yet according to hindu doctrine whether buddhist or brahmanic no karma attaches to the deeds of a saint his acts may affect others but there is nothing in them which tends to create a new existence in another dialogue the buddha replies to a wandering monk called vakka who questioned him about the undetermined problems and in answer to every solution suggested says that he does not hold that view Footnote 514 Majima Nikaya 72 End footnote Vaka asks what objection he has to these theories, that he has not adopted any of them. Quote the theory that the saint exists or does not exist and so on after death is a jungle, a desert, a puppet show, a writhing, an entanglement and brings with it sorrow, anger, wrangling, and agony. It does not conduce to distaste for the world, to the absence of passion, to the cessation of evil, to peace, to knowledge, to perfect enlightenment, to nirvana. Perceiving this objection, I have not adopted any of these theories. Then has Gotama any theory of his own? Vaka the Tathagata has nothing to do with theories, but this is what he knows the nature of form, how form arises, how form perishes, the nature of perception, how it arises and how it perishes, and so on with the other skandhas. Therefore, I say that the Tathagata is emancipated because he has completely and entirely abandoned all imaginations agitations and false notions about the ego and anything pertaining to the ego but asks vaka when one who has attained this emancipation of mind dies where is he reborn vaka the word reborn does not fit the case then gotama he is not reborn To say he is not reborn does not fit the case, nor is it any better to say he is both reborn and not reborn, or that he is neither reborn nor not reborn. Really, Gotama, I am completely bewildered, and my faith in you is gone. Never mind your bewilderment. This doctrine is profound and difficult. Suppose there was a fire in front of you you would see it burning and know that its burning depended on fuel and if it went out you would know that it had gone out but if someone were to ask you to which quarter has it gone east west north or south what would you say the expression does not fit the case Gotama, for the fire depended on fuel and when the fuel is gone it is said to be extinguished being without nourishment IN JUST THE SAME WAY, ALL FORM BY WHICH ONE COULD PREDICATE THE EXISTENCE OF THE SAINT IS ABANDONED AND uprooted LIKE A FAN-PALM, SO THAT IT WILL NEVER GROW UP IN FUTURE. FOOTNOTE 515 WHICH IS SAID NOT TO GROW UP AGAIN. END FOOTNOTE THE SAINT, WHO IS RELEASED FROM WHAT IS STYLED FORM, IS DEEP, IMMEASURABLE, HARD TO FATHOM, LIKE THE GREAT OCEAN. It does not fit the case to say either that he is reborn not reborn both reborn and not reborn or neither reborn nor not reborn exactly the same statement is then repeated four times the words sensation perception sankharas and consciousness being substituted successively for the word form vaka we are told was satisfied to appreciate properly the buddha's simile we must concentrate our attention on the fire when we apply this metaphor to annihilation we usually think of the fuel or receptacle and our mind dwells sadly on the heap of ashes or the extinguished lamp but what has become of the fire it is hardly correct to say that it has been destroyed If a particular fire may be said to be annihilated in the sense that it is impossible to reconstitute it by repeating the same process of burning, the reason is not so much that we cannot get the same flames as that we cannot burn the same fuel twice. But so long as there is continuous combustion in the same fireplace or pile of fuel, we speak of the same fire, although neither the flame nor the fuel remains the same when combustion ceases the fire goes out in popular language to what quarter does it go that question clearly does not quote fit the case but neither does it fit the case to say that the fire is annihilated footnote five sixteen it may be that the buddha had in his mind the idea that a flame which goes out returns to the primitive invisible state of fire this view is advocated by schrader journal polytext society nineteen o five page one sixty seven the passages which he cites seem to me to show that there was supposed to be such an invisible store from which fire is born but to be less conclusive as proving that fire which goes out is supposed to return to that store though the quotation from the Maitreya upanishad points in this direction for the metaphor of the flame see also sutta nipata verses ten seventy four to six and footnote nirvana is the cessation of a process not the annihilation of an existence if i take a walk nothing is annihilated when the walk comes to an end a particular form of action has ceased strictly speaking the case of a fire is the same when it goes out a process ceases for the ordinary man nirvana is annihilation in the sense that it is the absence of all the activities which he considers desirable but for the arhat who is the only person able to judge nirvana after death as compared with nirvana in life may be quiescence and suspension of activity only that such phrases seem to imply that activity is the right and normal condition quiescence being negative and unnatural whereas for an arhat these values are reversed we may use too the parallel metaphor of water a wave cannot become an immortal personality it may have an indefinitely long existence as it moves across the ocean although both its shape and substance are constantly changing and when it breaks against an obstacle the resultant motion may form new waves and if a wave ceases to struggle for individual existence and differentiation from the surrounding sea it cannot be said to exist any more as a wave yet neither the water which was its substance nor the motion which impelled it have been annihilated it is not even quite correct to say that it has been merged in the sea a drop of water added to a larger liquid mass is merged the wave simply ceases to be active and differentiated in the samyutta nikaya the buddha's statement that the saint after death is deep and immeasurable like the ocean is expanded by significant illustration of the mathematician's inability to number the sand or express the sea in terms of liquid measure footnote five seventeen forty four one End footnote it is in fact implied that if we cannot say he is this is only because that word cannot properly be applied to the infinite innumerable and immeasurable the point which is clearest in the buddha's treatment of this question is that whatever his disciples may have thought he did not himself consider it of importance for true religion speculation on such points may be interesting to the intellect but is not edifying it is a jungle where the traveller wanders without advancing and a puppet-show a vain worldly amusement which wears a false appearance of religion because it is diverting itself with quasi-religious problems what is the state of the saint after death is not as people vainly suppose a question parallel to am i going to heaven or hell what shall i do to be saved to those questions the buddha gives but one answer in terms of human language and human thought namely attain to nirvana and arhatship on this side of death if possible in your present existence if not now then in the future good existences which you can fashion for yourself what lies beyond is impracticable as a goal unprofitable as a subject of speculation we shall probably not be transgressing the limits of gotama's thought if we add that those who are not arhats are bound to approach the question with misconception and. It is a necessary part of an arhat's training to get rid of the idea, "I am." Footnote five eighteen. Majima nikaya nine ad initium, asmiti dithim ananusayam samu hanitva, end footnote the state of a saint after death cannot be legitimately described in language which suggests that it is a fuller and deeper mode of life footnote 519 see especially sutta nipata 1076 athangattasa na pamanan ati etc and footnote yet it is clear that nearly all who dispute about it wish to make out that it is a state they could somehow regard with active satisfaction in technical language they are infected with aruparago or desire for life in a formless world and this is the seventh of the ten fetters all of which must be broken before our hutship is attained i imagine that those modern sects such as the zen in japan which hold that the deepest mysteries of the faith cannot be communicated in words but somehow grow clear in meditation are not far from the master's teaching though to the best of my belief no passage has been produced from the pitakas stating that an arhat has special knowledge about the avyakatani or undetermined questions almost all who treat of nirvana after death try to make the buddha say is or is not that is what he refused to do we still want a plain answer to a plain question and insist that he really means either that the saint is annihilated or enters on an infinite existence but the true analogues to this question are the other insoluble questions for instance is the world infinite or finite in space this is in form a simple physical problem yet it is impossible for the mind to conceive either an infinite world or a world stopping abruptly with not even space beyond a common answer to this antinomy is that the mind is attempting to deal with a subject with which it is incompetent to deal that the question is wrongly formulated and that every answer to it thus formulated must be wrong the way of truth lies in first finding the true question the real difficulty of the buddha's teaching though it does not stimulate curiosity so much as the question of life after death is the nature and being of the saint in this life before death raised in the argument with yamaka footnote 520 samyutta nikaya 22 eighty five and footnote another reason for not pressing the buddha's language in either direction is that if he had wished to preach in the subtlest form either infinite life or annihilation he would have found minds accustomed to the ideas and a vocabulary ready for his use if he had wished to indicate any form of absorption into a universal soul or the acquisition by the individual self of the knowledge that it is identical with the universal self, he could easily have done so. But he studiously avoided saying anything of the kind. He teaches that all existence involves suffering, and he preaches escape from it. After that escape, the words being and not being no longer apply, And the reason why some people adopt the false idea of annihilation is because they have commenced by adopting the false alternative of either annihilation or an eternal prolongation of this life. A man makes himself miserable because he thinks he has lost something or that there is something which he cannot get. Footnote 521 Majima Nikaya 22 Alagadupama, End footnote. but if he does not think he has lost something or is deprived of something he might have then he does not feel miserable similarly a man holds the erroneous opinion quote, this world is the self or soul and i shall become it after death and be eternal and unchanging End quote. then he hears the preaching of a buddha and he thinks quote, I shall be annihilated. I shall not exist any more, and he feels miserable. but if a man does not hold this doctrine that the soul is identical with the universe and will exist eternally, which is just complete full-blown folly, and then hears the preaching of a Buddha, it does not occur to him to think that he will be annihilated, and he is not miserable footnote five twenty two later in the same sutta kevalo paripuro baladamo footnote. here the buddha emphasizes the fact that his teaching is not a variety of the brahmanic doctrine about the atman shortly afterwards in the same sutta he even more emphatically says that he does not teach annihilation he teaches that the saint is already in this life inconceivable and when i teach and explain this some accuse me falsely and without the smallest ground saying gotama is an unbeliever he preaches the annihilation the destruction the dying out of real being when they talk like this they accuse me of being what i am not of saying what i do not say footnote five twenty three four emphatic synonyms in the original End footnote. though the buddha seems to condemn by anticipation the form of the vedanta known as the Advaita, this philosophy illustrates the difficulty of making any statement about the saint after his death for it teaches that the saint knows that there is but one reality namely brahman and that all individual existences are illusion he is aware that he is brahman and that he is not differentiated from the world around him and when he dies what happens metaphors about drops and rivers are not really to the point it would be more correct to say that nothing at all has happened his physical life an illusion which did not exist for himself has ceased to exist for others perhaps he will be nearest to the buddha's train of thought who attempts to consider by reflection rather than by discussion in words what is meant by annihilation by thinking of the mystery of existence and realizing how difficult it is to explain how and why anything exists we are apt to slip into thinking that it would be quite natural and intelligible if nothing existed or if existing things became nothing yet as a matter of fact our minds have no experience of this nothing of which we talk and it is inconceivable when we try to think of nothingness we really think of space from which we try to remove all content yet could we create an absolute vacuum within a vessel the interior of the vessel would not be annihilated the man who has attained nirvana cannot be adequately defined or grasped even in this life what binds him to being is cut but it is inappropriate and inadequate to say that he has become nothing footnote five twenty four diga nikaya one seventy three usina Bavanetico. footnote five twenty five I recommend the reader to consider carefully the passage at the end of Book Four of Schopenhauer's Die Welt als Wille und Vorstellung, Haldane and Kemp's translation, Volume One, pages 529 to 530. Though he evidently misunderstood what he calls quote, the Nirvana of the Buddhists, yet his own thought throws much light on it. End footnote. End section 41. Recording by Linda Johnson.